This morning comes from Psalm 32. We've been going through a series of sermons on the Psalms, on spiritual practices in the Psalms. This morning we're reading from Psalm 32. So please join me as I read this word. Psalm 32 says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they will not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and brittle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy for all you upright in heart. Amen. That's a reading of God's word. Please join me in prayer. Father, we so thank you that you give us instruction and wisdom through your words. So speak to us now through your servant, through your spirit, that we may live and we may uh, experience the joy of forgiveness, the blessedness of confession. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We've been looking through a series of sermons on sacred practices. We've been calling it uh, Psalms, and we're looking at spiritual practices. Uh, Christianity is not just things that we believe. We do believe things in Christianity, but it's also a set of practices that shape us, that help us to become more like what God has called us to be in Jesus. And every week we're looking at different practices. We've looked at things like prayer, worship, meditation. Last week I looked at Lament, the idea of lament. And this week we're looking at this idea of confession. Confession is an ancient practice which we need more than ever. It's a very countercultural, especially in this day and age. The words confession and repentance are words that seem uh, jarring. They're not uh, the most comfortable ideas. But I would say that we need that to reclaim it, and we need it more than ever. We need it more than ever. It's countercultural because we live in a social media age where people like to hide the worst parts of their lives and we like to highlight the best parts of our lives. And we look at other people and they seem like they're having the best time. They seem like their lives are beautiful. And so many of us uh, suffer in silence because of that. We hide all of our junk. We hide all of our vices. And we suffer in silence. In a recently released study, the Journal of Abnormal Psychology said between 2009 and 2017, the number of young adults who reported having suicidal thoughts or experiencing depression, it jumped 63% in just that short time frame. One of the lead authors of that study suggested that the rise, the huge jump in the number of people who are depressed, especially young people, she believes is associated with the rise of digital media. She says that it probably plays a pretty serious effect. 
Today we want to look at the idea that, in contrast to our our culture, the idea that we can actually bring our worst parts of our lives to God. And that when we do that, when we expose the deepest, darkest parts of ourselves to God, it's actually a road to healing, because God will not condemn us. We're going to look at this morning that that God's promises, when we bring the darkest parts of our lives to him, he's going to forgive us. He's going to heal us. Confession is a road to joy. Confession is a road to healing. It's a road to blessedness. So today, as we look at this idea of confession, I want to look at three things. Uh, One is life without confession. Secondly, what does confession look like? What's the practice of confession? Third, how can that practice of confession be a blessing? How can it be a road to healing? Those three things. And I want to look at first this idea of life without confession. We've been looking through the Psalms in this series, and we've been saying the Psalms are beautiful because they're so transparent. They're so real. They're so raw. In the Psalms, you see uh, people wrestling with God, and they're being very real with God. You see men weeping, crying, lamenting. We see uh, people expressing doubt, like, God, where are you? Why are you so far away? Uh, Here in this Psalm, we see a man wrestling with God, and he's wrestling over this idea of confession. Uh, He doesn't want to confess his sins to God. He doesn't want to admit that he's wrong. Uh, so many of us, uh, are, we, we don't want to confess because it's, we have to admit the worst parts about ourselves. And we have to bring that to God. The writer Ibram Kendi, he's researched racism in America. Um, and this is what he says. He says, America doesn't like to look back at its racist past. He says, this is why. He says, when our reality is too ugly, we deny reality. It's too painful to look at. Reality is too hard to accept. Kendi says the reason why we don't like to look back at our racist past is that it's it's too ugly. We don't want to go back there. We'd rather change reality uh, than deal with it. It's too hard to accept. Many of us live in denial. We don't want to really take a close look inside. We don't want to admit our faults or problems because it's too ugly. We'd rather live in denial. But it's hard to ignore uh, just the, the, the need and the, 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 that, that's, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. You know, all around our world today, we see how ugly things are. We live in a world and a culture in which we're struggling with things like racism. We see mass shootings all the time. We, we saw uh, cheating scandals of parents uh, cheating, using their privilege to get their kids unethically into schools they probably didn't deserve to get into. And we see all of this division and hostility in our culture today. And it's easy for us to say that those things are out there. You know, those are societal problems out there, but I'm not a part of it. It's easy to say, man, racism is a problem out there. I'm not racist. Uh, Greed is a problem. All these people who have so much, I'm not greedy. These are societal problems, but it doesn't involve me. And there's a tendency in all of us to want to say that, yeah, things are bad, but I'm not a part of that. That doesn't involve, that's out there. It's a societal problem. Uh, we want to live in denial that somehow we are not a part of the problems. Uh, last week, this is a typical occurrence in our household, uh, I heard a crash, a loud crash. I went out into the living room 
There's a glass on the floor. My three kids were there. They looked at me. And my oldest daughter said, it was not me. You know, my middle son was like, it was not me. And my daughter was like, he pushed me. They all all were like, it's not me. It ain't me. It's not my fault. And that's like every day. And, you know, it's, it's been like that since the beginning. All of us have that tendency. In Genesis 3, very first story is humanity falls and God questions Adam. Said, Adam, what happened? What did Adam say? He's like, it's not, it's that woman. That woman you gave me. He questions Eve. Eve, like, what's the deal? She's like, it's not, it's that serpent. Serpent, actually, you let into this garden. I don't know why you did that. Why would you let a serpent into this beautiful garden? It's not me. And you know, since the beginning of time, that's in all of us. It's not me. It couldn't be me. We want to deny. We want to deflect. It's a natural instinct that all we all have to live in denial, to deflect, to blame shift. But the psalmist, he's wrestling with that idea. And he says that when we do that, our soul... Our body is going to be broken with guilt. Look, look at verse 3 with me. He says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of, of summer. The psalmist says, man, he lived in denial. He didn't want to admit that anything was wrong with him. It was not me. He says when he lived in denial, there was this feeling of guilt, this weight that was upon him. He says the hand of God was heavy upon him. Uh, He says that he felt even in his bones a deep distress. The Psalms tell us that we're both body and spirit. We're physical flesh and blood, but we're also soul. But those two things are interconnected. And when our spirit is broken, when our spirit feels guilty, it has effects upon our body. We feel broken. We feel the weight of guilt upon our bodies. Psalm 38, 4 to 5 says, Though my iniquities, for my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. And the psalm says that when we have unconfessed sins, it's like a weight that's on us. And it's also a wound that will not heal unless we bring it to the light of God's face. Some of us have secret sins we tell nobody about, but there are wounds that would just get worse and worse. And it will weigh us down more and more. Psalms 28.1 says, Proverbs rather 28.1 says this, is that not only will uh, unconfessed sin and living in denial affect how you feel, but it will also give you all kinds of anxiety. Proverbs 28.1 says, the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. And it gives us a picture of someone who feels guilty and that they're always looking over their shoulders because they know that one day they're going to be found out. It's going to catch up to me. I know at any minute the truth will be known. We live in a call-out culture in which a lot of people uh, have their past catching up to them. Scandals unfolding. Things that you've done years in the past are starting to come into public view. And it's catching up to you. But there's a sneaky suspicion in all of us that our past will one day catch up to us. Because which of us is blameless? 
that we're going to have anxiety, that there's deep fear and guilt and shame in all of us. But the, the hope is this. Psalm 32 says there's a solution to all the guilt and anxiety that you feel. And it's not to deny, it's not to deflect, but it's the second thing that we're going to look at called confession. The solution to the anxiety and guilt and shame is this practice of confession. So look, let's look at that. Psalm 32 starts out with this idea of a person who feels all kinds of pressure, of guilt. They try to deny, they try to tell nobody, they try to deflect, they try to defend themselves. But man, that pressure is getting to him. So what does he do? It's like a dam with, with waters uh, hitting against it. But then the psalmist says he confesses his sins and like the floodgates open. There's a sense of relief. There's a sense of a peace that he experiences. In Psalm 32, 5, he says, I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover up my iniquity. And I, I said, I will contra- confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgive, gave the iniquity of my sin. What is confession? Confession is simply acknowledging openly before God our fault, what we've done wrong. Confession is a refusal to cover up. Uh, there's this idea of covering that happened right in the beginning of time. And covering is trying to hide. You're trying to hide your bad stuff. Tell nobody. Uh, live in denial. Deflect it. Don't look too deeply upon it. But confession means you uncover. You let, let it be known. You confess that to God. And you ask for his forgiveness. Uh, so what are some principles of confession? So I'm going to look at just a, a few. The first principle of confession is confess frequently. And we're looking at practices and we're trying to make this as practical as possible. The first principle of confession is that we are to confess frequently. Uh, sin is like debt. The, the longer you don't pay it down, the more and more it builds and grows. You forget about it. And so one principle is that we should frequently be in the habit of confession. Uh, all of these points are going to apply not just our confession to God, but also to other people. And we should make it a regular habit to confess our sins to God. Uh, sin is ultimately about a lack of love. Jesus says the two greatest commandments are we are to love God with everything we have and to love our neighbor as ourself. Ultimately, sin is about not loving God and not loving other people in our thoughts, in our words, and in our action. And so what confession is doing is that we're bringing those things to God. We are confessing everything throughout our day. Spend some time every day thinking about your day. Do you have anything to confess? You can pray a prayer like uh, the Psalm 139, 23 to 24. This is what the psalmist is thinking about. He says, search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in your way everlasting. And the psalmist says, God, search me. Let let me bring all my thoughts to you. Is there anything that is not right? And we can go throughout a day and we can say, God, forgive me for being angry at my wife. God, forgive me for the lustful thoughts I've been thinking throughout this day. I bring that to you. God, forgive me for walking past uh, my homeless friends every day and doing nothing for them. Sin is not just action, but it's also inaction. Things that we do, but also things that we refuse to do, that we've been called to do. 
And confession means every day bringing all those things to God. Bringing it out into the open. The second principle of confession is uh, we are to express genuine sorrow for the things that we've left undone or the things that we have done. Sin is not just breaking abstract rules, but it's breaking God's heart. So when we confess our sin, uh, we are to express sorrow for turning our back on the one who loves us the most. You know, I've talked about my kids. Sometimes when my kids hurt each other, I ask them to say sorry. Have you ever done that to a little kid? Like, hey, can you say sorry for what you did? And so many times my kids give the worst confessions. Uh, so, so many times I ask my son to apologize and he says something like, sorry, something like that. <laughs> it's like he says sorry like he ain't sorry, sorry. Like, sorry. It's like, man, that was, that was not an apology. You know, it's like he, he's not remorseful. He's not remorseful. That's a, that's a sorry, not sorry. Like, sorry, sorry that I have to say sorry, basically, so kind of sorry. And it does not make the offender, someone who's been offended, feel any better. It actually makes them feel worse. It's a forced apology. Uh, but when we, when we confess our sin to God, we are to express sorrow. Uh, because when we confess our sins to God, we are we acknowledge that God is the one who loves us the most. He created us. He loves us. Think about all the times God's been so patient with you. Think about all the time God has never let you down. Think about all the false promises that you ever made to God. Think about God's, he is relentlessly loving you. He's so patient with you. He has created you. He has rescued you. He has given his son for you. And sorrow is expressing that idea that, God, I've broken your heart. Um, so the question is this. What happens if you don't have sorrow? That's a dilemma, isn't it? What if I know I feel God broke his heart, but I don't really express sorrow. I don't really have that in me. What, what do I do then? And the answer is that we are to ask, we have to ask forgiveness for our lack of sorrow. Uh, the Puritans say this, that we are to repent of our repentance. That's what they said. That's a great place to start. To say, God, I know I've broken your heart. I know you love me the most. And my heart is so hard. Forgive me for that. Soften my heart. Give me more of your heart. Open my eyes to see myself for who I really am. And God, give me grace to see your love and your compassion for me. Break my heart, God, for the things that break your heart. Uh, Help me, Jesus. Send your spirit to soften my heart and my spirit. And that's a great place to start. Uh, The Puritan's prayer, which is listed in your bulletin, one of the things that the Puritans pray for is they ask God, God, wash my tears, which is an interesting kind of prayer, that my tears of confession, they're actually not pure. Some of it might be self-pity. Sometimes we confuse self-pity for sorrow. Self-pity is you feel bad about your circumstances. You feel bad that you got caught. You feel bad about what you've done, what you've done, the consequences of what you've done, not what you did. And when we're in that place, we are to, to confess that. God, I don't really have genuine sorrow. I have self-pity. But change my self-pity into genuine sorrow. Transform me. That's a great place 
to pray. Uh, true confession is frequent. It is with our heart. And finally, uh, it's in community. The final principle of confession is that we are not only to confess our sins to God, to the one who loves us, but also to other people. James 5.16 says this, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And uh, one helpful way uh, to confess our sins is also to another because all of us in some sense can be self-deceived. A year ago, I was visiting my family in San Francisco uh, and it was I was at my sister's house. She lives on this tiny narrow street it was foggy. It was summer in San Francisco. By the way, it's always foggy in San Francisco, even in the summer. And I was backing out of her driveway, and I have a car with a rear camera. Do you guys have one of those? And I was backing out, and I was just looking at my camera, and it's like no big deal. And all of a sudden, I heard this giant crash. And I had crashed into her neighbor's car, which was back there. My camera did not see it. And I realized that I had been so reliant on this camera. I was not looking back. I was not looking at my uh, blind spots. I was so reliant on this camera, not realizing it's a foggy day, not realizing that it was night. And I was so reliant, and I didn't realize my blind spots. I didn't realize my over-reliance on things. You know, sometimes in our lives, we're so over-reliant on ourselves uh, we don't realize we got blind spots. There are things that we cannot see, things that we need other people to see for us. And that's why we need people in our lives uh, that, that can speak truth into our lives, that can keep us accountable. We need people in our lives to walk with us, uh, to keep us from being self-deceived. So here's a couple questions for that. One is this. Are you a kind of person... Are you a safe person for a friend to confess their sins to? Think about that. Are you a person that people will feel comfortable uh, confessing their sins to? Or are you someone that people will not confess because either you're too judgmental, you're going to be too harsh with them, you're gonna, or you lack empathy. You're not going to be able to walk with them through that. You're not going to listen. You're not going to empathize. Secondly, the second question is, do you feel, do people feel safe correcting you? All of us got blind spots. We all have things that we cannot see in our lives, so we need people speaking into it. Are you a person that when you hear correction, do you blow up or do you melt down? You blow up, are you defensive? No, that's not really me. I think you got it wrong. I think you're a misunderstanding. Or you melt down and the person's like, just forget it. Just forget I ever told you that. Just go on with your life. Are you humble enough to realize you need people in your life to see things, to walk with you, to love on you? Confession is uh, frequent. It's with our heart. It's also communal. It's something that we do together as a church, that we walk with each other. Confession is a critical discipline. Uh, And it's difficult and that's why we wanted to end with this final thing. It's a way to joy. It's a way to blessing. Something that we have to continually practice. But if you practice it, especially in community, it leads you to this place of blessing. Psalm 32, 1 to 2, that first word in this uh, psalm of confession is blessed. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Uh, blessed is an interesting word. How are you blessed? 
Most people, uh, if you talk to religious people, most religious people think you're blessed by doing good things, right? Uh, you're blessed by volunteering. You're blessed by building a house for habitat for humanity. You're blessed by giving. You're blessed by serving. You're blessed by doing righteous things. But Psalm 32 says no. Actually, first of all, you're blessed by being forgiven. Blessedness first comes not by anything you do, but by acknowledging, simply acknowledging and confessing your, your, the things that you've left undone, the things that you've done wrong. Psalm 32 says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. Psalm 32 says that when we confess our sins to God, God will absolutely, unequivocally forgive you. He will cover you. We talked about this idea of covering. And God will cover your shame. There's absolutely nothing you can ever do in life that God won't forgive you for. God writes you a blank check. It's an absolute blank check. And he says, I will forgive absolutely anything you have done. If you come to me sincerely in faith, I will forgive you. Your sins are no match for my mercy. They're no match for my grace. God's promise is not just that he will forgive us, but look at the last idea in Psalm 32. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all of you upright in heart. God says that when... Uh, We confess our sins to God. It's not just that God forgives us and we're good. God's not angry with us. But it's even better than that. God says, not only will I forgive you, but I will accept you. I will sing and shout songs of deliverance. I will rejoice in you. Sometimes when I'm down and I ask God for forgiveness, I feel like God is angry with me. And when I ask him for forgiveness, he's like, we're we're good, we're even. But I'm still kind of in God's doghouse. But God says, no, when you come to me and ask me for forgiveness, I'm going to not just forgive you, I'm going to love on you. I'm going to shout and sing over you. I will rejoice in you. You know, when you think about that, it sounds so crazy, so hard to believe. How can God do that? How can he not just forgive us but sing and shout Songs of deliverance over us. And the secret to that, the hint, is verse 7. It says, God is our hiding place. God is our hiding place. And ultimately, in God himself, he has covered us. And we see that ultimately in Jesus. Ultimately in Jesus, uh, Jesus has come, he has come to carry the weight of our sins for us. That's what the cross is about. The cross is the idea that all of us have guilt and shame. But Jesus on the cross, he bore the weight of God's guilt and, sh- and he was exposed. The cross is a terrifyingly humiliating. You were stripped naked in front of the crowds. You were exposed. And the idea was that Jesus covered, carried our shame. He was unclothed. He was mocked. He endured the wrath of God. Why? For us. He's our substitute in our place. He was stripped naked so that he can cover us. You know, in the Garden of Eden, all the ideas of covering comes from the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, 
Adam and Eve sinned and they start, they ran from God and they, it says they realized their nakedness and they tried to make clothes out of fig leaves. Imagine that as a project. Try to go outside and make clothing out of leaves. I mean, those aren't going to be the greatest form of covering. You know, you're going you're gonna to walk a little, you're going to be exposed. It's not a great way to make clothing. But what did God do? After God confronted them, he actually forgave them. He actually gave them a promise. And what did he do? It says he made them garments. God says, I'm going to make you new garments. These are garments of grace. God says, the story of God from Genesis on is that we've walked away from God. We're, we're running from God. We're exposed. We're filled with guilt and shame. But God sent Jesus down to us. And Jesus is our older brother who has come to bear the debt we owe to God. Live a righteous life for us. He's come to cover us with his garments of grace, to cover our shame. He bore our forgiveness, and he calls us back home to God, to be with God the Father. And that is the hope of all of us. Uh, As we close, I would say uh, there are three kinds of people in this world, three kinds of people. We want to break it down like that. Number one, there's a kind of person who says, I'm too good. I'm good as I am. I don't need God's forgiveness. Like, I'm a good person. I don't need the forgiveness of God. Uh, And you will not receive it because you say you don't need it. Second kind of person thinks that uh, my sins are too much. They're too deep for God to forgive me. There's a second kind of person. And you feel like, man, I'm too much. I have too much junk. Uh, That God, he can't possibly forgive me. It's the last kind of person. And this last person realizes the, the depth of their sin, but they realize finally that, God, your grace can cover all of it. And Psalm 32 says that's the blessed person. That's the blessed person, the person who realized the depth of their sins, but even more, they realize the grace of God is a powerful thing that can cover over all of our sins. Uh, the way to blessedness is to expose ourselves to God, to realize that he is, his grace is sufficient. You know, Brene Brown, she's a professor. I have a quote from her in the reflection. And she, she researches shame. And one of her deep insights is that when people expose themselves in public and they say things that are super shameful, you think to yourself that um, people would think less of you if you confess something. But she says, in reality, when you see someone confessing something that's deep and dark, you actually think more of them. You think, man, that person was courageous. She says that when you confess things to other people, it actually brings you closer to them. Have you ever heard someone confess their sin and thought to yourself, man, I am not alone? You know, they said something deep and dark and you realized, man, I I feel closer to that person now. You know, confession is a really amazing thing. It's a key to spirituality because when we confess our sins, we are saying to God, God, it's not about me, it's about you. It's not about my righteousness, it's about your grace, your forgiveness. The way up to God is a way down by saying, God, I'm empty of myself, but I glory in you. Confession also, when a church confesses to each other, it draws us closer together. We stop being fake with each other. And we start connecting with people on a deep level. And we say, man, we are in this together. And we are an imperfect mess, but we are so loved and we're so together. 
And that's the beauty of God's grace. This Lent season, this whole season is a season of confession. It's a season of getting in touch with the darkness in us. But it's also a season for rejoicing in the grace of God. The endless and boundless grace of God for us in Christ Jesus. Please join me in prayer. Lord, we use this time as a time to confess, forgive us for our pride, forgive us for just a lack of confession in our life, forgive us for our hard-heartedness, forgive us for distracting ourselves rather than being in your presence. And I pray, God, this morning that you would search our hearts and know our thoughts. Lord, you know intimately what we think about, what we imagine, what we dream. You know how, how deeply we failed. And God, more than that, I pray that you'd awaken, awaken us to the depth of your love and your grace, that all of us here are never beyond the reach of your grace, never beyond the reach, reach of your forgiveness. So I pray that you would soften our hearts I pray that this season you would make us alive in you. I pray that all of us would know that in you, that we are forever forgiven and bound in your bosom, in you are our hiding place, our great righteousness, and our redeemer. So we rejoice in you. We give you thanks for this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.